Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, business editor for Variety. Today, my guests are Lori Hall and Jessica Lane Alexander. Lori and Jessica are entertainment marketing veterans who decided, after years of talking about it, to hang out their own shingle this year. The executives who previously worked together at Turner Broadcasting and at TV One recently launched multicultural marketing agency Poppin Creative, based in Atlanta. In our conversation about race and marketing and media, the Black entrepreneurs discuss why they had the confidence to launch a company amid the economic wallop of the pandemic. They offer thoughtful observations on why big brands need to embrace the call for racial justice as a matter of long-term business survival in an increasingly multicultural America. As Lori says, a systemic problem needs a systemic solution. Lori Hall and Jessica Lane Alexander, co-founders of a brand new multicultural marketing firm based in Atlanta, Hoppin Creative. Thank you so much to the both of you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. It's very exciting yes. to be here. So we're super excited. Thank you, Cynthia. Um, I, you, Poppin Creative announced itself to the world uh, just a couple of days ago with an announcement that you two had joined forces. Both of you come from TV One, uh, having been, Lori had been the former head of marketing for TV One, and she now holds the role of co-founder and head of creative for Poppin Creative. Jessica, you were former head of social and digital content, and that's a sim- similar role that you're going to play for Pop and Creative. Um, first of all, congratulations. I so admire anybody that has the, the spine to go out on their own, plant their flag, as it were. Um, this is obviously in the, mac- you know, in the macroeconomic environment. This is a difficult time to be launching a business, especially a marketing company right now when the economy is is so uncertain and we all know that marketing spend tracks economic activity and right. the GDP. Um, tell me tell me what it was that made you decide to, to take this step at this time. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you know, we were really frustrated with the lack of um, agencies, multicultural agencies that were, you know, highly heralded by uh, other networks, you know, and in in the entertainment marketing world, we all share resources, we share agencies, and a lot of marketers were like, I don't have a great multicultural agency, or I only have one, you know, and we also saw, and Jessica says this often, that there was a lack of women leadership, you know, at these agencies, and so yeah. when we saw brands start tripping up with marketing to multicultural audiences, specifically even black audiences, um, with things like, you know, Pepsi with the Black Lives Matter imitation um, back in 2017 and, yeah. you know, Burberry with the nooses for their models in 2019, you know, we're, we're at 2020 and brands are still tripping up on how to market to, you know, these audiences effectively. So we really said, you know what, we can do it and we can do it better. Um, and we wanted to be a resource for companies so that they had more diversity of thought. So they had more women leadership. So they had more black owned, black women led businesses um, in this space. 
Yeah. So no, echoing a lot of stuff that Lori said. So I, I, my background is I, I went to a business school at Kellogg School of Management, and it's one of the top programs for brand managers. So while I wasn't a brand manager, I had lots of brand manager friends. And when we started out really getting excited and really wanting to push into this space, I talked to a lot of my brand manager friends about the multicultural marketing space and how they handled it. And they had the same responses and the same frustrations. It's like, we have one kind of agency that we always go to and they, you know, or one or two agencies and they really wanted more diverse perspective and they really wanted to see more ideas and they really wanted to make sure they wanted to have top quality ideas from their multicultural agencies. And so we kept, we, we know we're in the multicultural space and we're expert marketers in the multicultural space. And we just thought that this is the time and we've heard it. We've heard it from, you know, different people in the industry. We've heard it from different marketers. You know, I heard it kind of at business school, just kind of lack of multicultural uh, marketing expertise in the space. So we pushed through and we pushed into it. Um, and we're excited to kind of be here. Tell me, um, I want to drill down. Like, was it like one day at the office? Was it over lunch? Was it like, who, who said to who? You know, we should launch a company. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good I question. So, I, you know what? But I will say, I, Lori, I don't know if you actually remember this, but so Lori and I actually go back se- through several different companies together. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so the tag team uh, got back together in TV One, but we worked uh-huh. together. We were at um, Turner, uh, Turner uh-huh. Broadcasting, now Warner Media. And I don't know if you remember this, but I, I kind of was t- pushing us to do this way back. At, at were Warner- you? At time what at uh, Turner uh, Broadcasting, excuse me. I was pushing us our way back, way back in the day at uh, Turner Broadcasting because I was like, I think we can do this. I, I oh my gosh! Put our resource together, and I think we should do this. And you were like, Yeah, yeah, uh huh. You're right. We <laughs> and I think we left it at that. And this might have been 2010 or. It only took me 10 years. Right, basically. And so I, I always had this idea in the back burner that you know, look around, like, no, we could we could totally do this. And so I I feel like when we at TV one, you know, we're working together again. And I feel like I can't, I don't know if it was me, but I know it was like one conversation over drinks. I'm sure. (laughs) And And we're like, I I think, I think we can kind of do this. Right. Right. (laughs) It starts as that sprinkle of an idea. Like I, I think, this can happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you're probably right. And, and it's funny that you asked that. We've never been asked that question. So that's a really great one. But um, I forgot about that, Jess, back in the Turner days or Warner Media days. We got a really bad pitch at TV One once for On Air Creative. And we wanted something that was going to work with our audience. TV One is targeted to primarily African-American audiences. And this agency pitched these scripts that were supposed to be funny, air quotes, um, and it was all about black people eating fried chicken and like, you know, I don't know if they had watermelon in there. Jess and I laugh about watermelon and <laughs> fried chicken. Cause it's just like that stereotypical negative image of black people that, you know, has stemmed from back in the day and racist history and all of that. And so I was upset. Like, I just did not know in what world they thought they could pitch a black company, you know, with black leadership about, you know, fried chicken and and black people eating fried chicken. So we took them to task on the phone. We said, hey, this was offensive, but we want to educate you. So it's offensive for these reasons. And what I want to know is, do you have any black people on your staff first? Um, and they said, well, the writer was black and he's he's a freelancer. I said, so you only had one, just one person. 
I said, you need to vet these types of things that go into stereotypes with multiple people, you know, of a demographic, because this was completely offensive and no one person can speak for the entire black race. So um, it was sometime after that, that I think, you know, we kept seeing these bad examples and, and it was probably Jess that started the conversation because Jess is the best co-founder ever because she drives the point all the time. Like we can do this, we can do this. As you can see from 2010, <laughs> years. but um, Jess was probably the spark of it. And I was finally like, you know what? It's time. You know, I've had a long career in entertainment marketing. Jess has had a great career from Microsoft Bing to TV One and Warner Media back in the day. And I felt like, you know, we, we have what it takes. We know because we're sitting here quarterbacking these other companies and what they did wrong. And, you know, for the ones that did it right, what they did right. So I think that was a genesis. Yeah. And this bad pitch that came in, would you say that was about a year ago, two years ago? Was it? Gosh, you know, don't, you know, don't hold me to it, but it was probably about two, two years ago, probably two, mm -hmm. maybe three years ago. And it's way too late. We, we are in 2020, even in 2017, 2018, you should not be falling into those kinds of stereotypes at this point. And there was no context. There was no setup. Hey guys, we know we're playing in a space that could be kind of sensitive. We're not sure if this is the right approach. And not only that, all their scripts were that. All of them. They didn't even have any other scripts that were not stereotypical. So it just, you know, they, what I will say about the agency, and um, I can't even remember which one it was, unfortunately, but they came back. They took the, they took the um, critique very well, very well. They came back, they pitched other scripts, and they were so much better. Um, so I didn't use that as a point to just cut them off. And I think that's important for people to understand. Sometimes we need to educate people, even at this late date. And that's why Pop and Creative, when we put out the resource guides, the, the brand response guide and the action guide, we felt so passionate about making sure brands understand the nuances in dealing with anti-racism and anti-black racism and understanding that, you know, here are some things you need to consider before you put your plan together. We felt so passionately about that. We did that for free. We put the guide out for free. Here it is. It's our thought work. It's our IP, but we want to share it because we care that much about brands getting it right. Yeah. And I will also say like, it's funny because they, you know, that pitch that we had, that was, I feel like a few years ago, but that type of pitch and that type of um, kind of writers kind of bring up these stereotypical ideas because kind of followed us throughout our career because I even remember back in the Warren Media your Turner broadcasting days that we had um, we worked on another multicultural show this one the uh, uh, the lead creative was for uh, Lopez tonight and so so similar like you know uh, George Lopez he's of Latino descent and we had pitches come in for George Lopez and full of like I've never seen like multiple pitches. I've never seen so many sombreros and mariachi bands in a pitch Promise in my entire life. Like it was crazy. Just a number of like, okay, so you just was like, okay, uh, open the book. All the list of stereotypes that people have for you know for people of Mexican descent, and we're gonna throw them all in one script. Like, <laughs> is this is this for real? Mm -hmm. And then and I feel like in a whole other agency kind of pitched an idea where. Uh, the title treatment for the show, Lopez Tonight, was actually in uh, some hedges, some bushes. So it had yeah. a person cutting out his name in some bushes. <laughs> and so in my head, I'm like, so is the joke because he's Mexican that his title treatment should be in Right, bushes? right. You know, and, and how hurtful that was and mm -hmm. how it was supposed to be a joke. And so this kind of idea of 
these pitches going wrong has happened through our entire career. So it's like it happened earlier and this might have been this was definitely within 2010, 2011, um, that sort of uh, time period. But it consistently happens. And so mm-hmm. we feel like now, especially now in this moment that we're having, these are the conversations that we need to have so we can help it stop happening. And we hope that, you know, of course, that we're entering the space and entering the conversation, but we hope that this encourages other kind of leaders and marketers to start having these really frank conversations with agencies that, no, this is not acceptable. And to Lori's point, we'll give you a chance to mm-hmm. um, to come back and um, recreate and to make it right. But we, this isn't acceptable. And please don't share this with anyone else. <laughs> And it's, it's so hard since, and, you know, as creatives, sometimes people just go straight to the creative idea mm-hmm. and they don't have the cultural context, which is what we specialize in. They don't have the cultural context to understand how sensitive it, how offensive it is sometimes. So I remember being in that room and I was like, anybody think that a Latino person cutting hedges is offensive? And, you know, That's what's like, great I is, <laughs> right. There were non-Black people in the room. Um, the head of marketing at the time was Trisha Melton. She's fantastic. And, you know, she is always on board and and driving the charge for making sure that things are inclusive and non-offensive and things like that. Um, for so sure. Because I feel like even... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Like she heard us. I feel like in, in this presentation, yeah, I don't feel like we weren't the only ones that said, hey, this is totally unacceptable. So, like, we were one of many voices in the room um, just because we had that sort of team that had a pulse on what was going on. And we... And, and uh, to Trisha's point, or to Lori's point about Trisha, that she encouraged us to be active and, and vocal about things where things are going left, mm-hmm. um, because we don't we don't want to be responsible for things going left. And of course, she never wanted to be responsible for things going left. So she empowered us to make that to have a voice in the conversation when things like this kind of get popped up and were presented. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I I see it myself a lot, you know a lot in just marketing to women sometimes when it just hits you the wrong way, and it really. <laughs> When it hits you the wrong way, to your point, to your point um, that you put out in your research guide, which I definitely want to talk about more. But when it hits you wrong, uh, from for it's horrible for a brand because on some level you never forget it, and on some level it's like you know it's totally discretionary what brand of toothpaste I buy or what brand of you know whatever whatever kind of packaged good or whatever. You know, and, you know, I, I, I have not forgotten that, you know, um, the retailer JCPenney, you know, marketed shirts that said, I'm too, I'm too dumb to do my math homework or something along those lines. Ah. Like, it wasn't quite that bad, but, but almost, yeah. you know, as bad in its own way. Yeah. And you just don't, you just don't forget that. And I can't just as a, you know, as a, as a white woman, I can't imagine, I can, I, I I can't imagine the pain of having that be, I see it a lot for women. I can't imagine having that magnified on, on race and ethnicity and the, and the, the sense of somebody has a stereotype of everything about you can be, can be boiled down to a few stereotypes that we're going to shove into a 30 second spot. I, I think I would be throwing things around the room. Right. <laughs> presented with things you described, like you said, whether it's George Lopez or, or for a black, it doesn't matter. It's that level of, that level of just crass ignorance to put sombreros or hedges. It's similarly, you know, back at TNT, we had a show called the closer and um, someone pitched a piece of key art because Brenda Lee Johnson loved uh, candy. They pitched a Uh key art execution. Yeah. Yeah that had a, a Twizzler noose. 
And I remember being in that room, um, Jess, I don't know if you were there at that time, but I remember being in that room and I was like, so black people and nooses have a bad history. You know, and I was a little bit younger, so I probably wasn't as forceful as I sound now, you know, I'm leaning. <laughs> but, um, but I'm like, I, I remember I said it that way, like black people and nooses have a, a long, bad history. Um, and uh, thank God they didn't go with that execution. Again, thanks to great leadership. Um, who listened to to me and listened to you know the voices in the room, but you know it was still pitched as just oh this is playful a noose because she's hanging herself with no, no, that's not uh, the way we should. On, for any on any level, I it's it's insane. Um, so once you once you two made the decision and you were get, um, tell me what what was sort of your first step? Did you have to to, to launch Pop and Creative? Did you have to line up financing? Did you have to get office space, design a logo, <laughs> all those things? Yeah. I, go ahead, Jess. Okay, I, I will say it's funny because as we look as we look back on this race, I feel like when you're any entrepreneur, and I'm sure lots of entrepreneurs could come out and kind of uh, uh, echo this sentiment. It's a good thing you're super naive when you go into it. You're like, yes, we can totally do it. We right. know we this is what we can do because if you knew actually all the steps you'd have to take to get from this idea to actually opening and and sharing <laughs> and yeah. sharing your business with the world, you would say no immediately. Right. So, <laughs> so we started by really having kind of discussions about uh, who we wanted to be and who we wanted to cater to. Um, so one of the things that we really went back and forth with and really struggled with was do we really focus on multicultural or do we kind of focus on ourselves in a general market space? And we really went back and forth because, you know, of course, there's this idea that if we say that we focus on multicultural, that's where we'll stay and we'll be pigeonholed in this space because as multicultural marketers, they often get pigeonholed and, okay, that's the only thing they can do. They're kind of a one-trick pony and they right. then can't transition. There are right. our agency for that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And only that. Right. And only that. And so we were kind of, asking ourselves, do we want to put ourselves in that box? Are we limiting ourselves? Are we limiting our potential kind of revenue building opportunities by putting ourselves in that space? Uh, and thankfully, we decided, you know what, whatever, we're going to, this is what we love to do. This is what, this is what we're passionate about. We're going to put our toe in the water here. And we're going to say, this is what we're going to do. So I say that to say it started with a lot of really kind of discussions about the mission and the purpose and how we wanted to drive the company forward. Um, we started there. And of course, we started brainstorming around the name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the name was really early on in terms of just what we thought were, you know, because yeah. I feel like agency, the agency name is kind of like a whole thing. And, and you can see kind of they have vibes as you yeah. go from like decade, and decade, year to year, that sort of thing. So we we're trying to think right. of a name that we thought was, you know, mm -hmm. powerful, that we thought was a cool, for lack of a better yeah. term. Um, we thought that was going to we were going to want to stick with it <laughs> three, mm -hmm. four, five years down the line. And then after that, I feel like that's when we started to actually like, you know, you send in your official paperwork in terms of, uh, I want to say it's the state of Georgia. You send in your official state of Georgia paperwork saying you created an LLC. And I feel like that's where we started. Yeah. That's fantastic. And um, why Atlanta? Are, are the both of you based there already? Or was there a reason why you set, set up shop in Atlanta? Yes. Yeah, so uh, so I, we are based here, and I was moving here, so that was part of the, the part of the impetus to do it. Uh, and so Lori is originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I was I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and I actually just recently moved back at the end of November to Atlanta, Georgia, because um, my husband at the top of 2019 he got a job down here in Atlanta, and I knew I had to relocate to Atlanta somehow, some way <laughs> between that year span. And so we just went we went through that space. To, 
through Atlanta. I feel like yeah. that was, I don't know if it was anything in particular, but we chose yeah. it because we had a common, we had a common home base in terms of Atlanta. Yeah. Um, my husband had just got a job here and moved and relocated there and I was relocating there. And so it felt like a natural home base for us and a natural home yes. base for Pop and Creative. Did you have to, have you had to line up any kind of financing or are you doing this out of your own bank accounts? <sighs> Our own bank accounts for right now, but <laughs> thankfully, you know, we really had some great contacts in the industry. And so we were able to, um, you know, get projects really quickly. So Freeform was one of our early projects. Trisha Milton um, from Turner um, had us do a capabilities meeting um, out there with her team and her team reached out to us to bring us on board. So we were able to actually bring in um, money pretty quickly, you know, thankfully, knock on wood. Um, and we've gotten more clients since then. Uh, COVID definitely was a, a bit of a, you know, unknown monkey wrench, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to call it, because yeah. we had some big experiential activations uh, lined up. One in particular was with Essence Festival, which caters to half a million uh, people each year, pr predominantly women, black women. Um, and so we had to put that on halt because the festival had to get, you know, canceled or, or rather right. rescheduled. So, you know, it, thankfully we're able to, you know, do payroll, do our business operations, financing, all of that through the money that we've already received from clients. And, you know, fortunately in this new era of, um, black Lives, well, not new era, but, you know, in the era of really, um, companies responding to black lives matter, um, a lot of people have been reaching out to us as well. So we've been doing pretty well so far. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're open to other financing. We, we applied for a grant and won one. So that was really great. Um, so, yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I, would just, I feel like that's, that, that has honestly been the key. Some of the early, our early potential clients. And I, I, and I also mentioned another early client uh, um, of, of ours, Aspire TV, who really took a chance on giving a, giving a kind of a, you know, a longer, a longer contract, because that's really the key to help staying in business is, of course, agency can be very, you know, one project based, but those right. longer contracts are what help you build your early business. And so I'm thankful to Aspire TV and their general manager, Melissa Ingram, who really gave us a shot to uh, say, hey, yeah, here's a, here's a longer contract for you to work on, because um, right. we really need the help. And so, it's through those type of partnerships and through those type of amazing clients or really partners that we're able to get this up and running um, and really have this conversation with you here today. <laughs> when So just a couple of days ago when you decided to formally lift the veil and let the world know of Poppin Creative Birth, you did so with a very comprehensive statement about you know why this moment can be so challenging for brands, but also can be so full of opportunity for people to really at a time when when people want to hear from brands in a way that they didn't before, because now we all have so much information in our pockets on our phones. You put out two resource guides that had a lot of very interesting and very specific do's and don'ts. One component of that that I thought was very interesting is, you, is that you said very clearly to brands, don't be scared into silence, even at a time of a lot of a lot of controversy and a lot of anger and a lot of very, you know, discussions online. When you sat down to 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 develop the components of the of the two guides that you put out in announcing the company, where did you start? Like, did you put your heads together? These are some of the most offensive things that we've heard over the years. Like, how did you start to develop that guide? Yeah, it really started out. Um, 
Well, first of all, you know, with what happened to George Floyd, we've seen that throughout history, right? Um, but in particular with George Floyd, it was the first time I think that um, people beyond Black America really paid attention in a very big way because it was so in your face, given that you had the entire recording of him taking his last breaths and being knelt upon by the officer and, and the officer not relenting to at least give him air, to at least um, make sure he's okay. And to see someone die on video is, is quite um, traumatic, disturbing. There are all kinds of words I could use for that. Um, and so when the protest started, um, you know, we were passionate, we are passionate about that, right? Black lives do matter. We are black women. Black lives have always mattered for us. Um, but to see allies and advocates and non-Black people all rally together with us, it became this huge movement and it's still a movement, um, you know, today, you know, in terms of fighting anti-Black racism, fighting to see Black people as equal human beings, fighting for equity, you know, and, you know, with Black people in corporate America or other positions, you know, how can we now bring Black America up? Because it's been over 450 years of oppression. So as Jessica and I were talking about how companies were responding, because we're so passionate about, you know, trying to figure out how can we help? What can we do to help, um, you know, bring some, some progress to this movement? You know, we don't want it to be just a moment. We want it to be a movement, you know, and, and a lot of people have been really um, careful to call it a movement these days, which has been a really great signal, I think, for everybody, because it, it started with a moment and now it's trans, you know, uh, it's moved into a movement. So uh, we started talking about what are brands saying? And so we started seeing these examples of some brands, you know, coming out with uh, what we call the Hollywood Black Squares, <laughs> thanks to uh, <laughs> one of the folks on our team, Keisha Taylor, um, Hollywood Black Squares, where everybody came out with a black background, white type, and it had, we stand in support. Um, and as we saw that, we started digging into what the brands were doing, and some of them had uh, multi-layered plans, some of them had no plan at all. And so Jessica actually was pushing again, because she's such a great co-founder. Jessica was pushing for us to <laughs> post something um, on our social media channels. And she's like, what are we going to post? We want it to be, you know, um, something about the agency, but something where we're a resource. And we were like, we've been talking about how companies have been responding this entire time. Let's, let's post that. So it went from a post and turned into a guide because we realized there was so much more meat we could put on it in terms of giving examples of the nuances what felt right, what didn't feel right, why that was. Um, and so as we started to pull examples, it became, it became a really great way for us to, to participate in the movement and to you know, be a resource to companies who were trying to figure out what to say. So that's why the first one is a response guide. And I'll, right. I'll kick it over to Jess to talk about the action guide, um, which was our follow-up to the response guide. Yeah, so I, I, I will say, you know, after we saw those initial responses, we saw people, we saw that brands, one, were willing to step up and they were trying to step up. We created that kind of the response guide. And then we started to see another shift in the movement or, or the moment started to extend itself and where they were encouraging brands to not only look uh, outside in terms of what's happening in the streets and what's happening in terms of dismantling racism within the criminal justice system and with the larger American institutions, but then they 
they beg people to start looking at some of the American institutions uh, known as these businesses in corporate America. And so when we start to see that pivot and shift where they're saying, no, it's not just important for us not to, you know, not to be the victims of police brutality and not to be the victims of police violence, but also see that we have equity and equality and have those conversations extend to corporate America where the numbers of African-American uh, numbers of African-American or just black people in general are so limited and so are so small, especially when you get to the higher ranks, when you get to the C-suite, senior level executives, board members, you know, black people are just missing from those, those seats of power. And when we started to see the discussion swing that way, we were like, oh, we need, we need a follow-up. <laughs> we need a response to just say, it's not enough to just say black lives matter and then not have any black people in your company or not have any black people in senior leadership. And we wanted to encourage brands to not only speak up, but then to create action plans of how can we really tackle and dismantle the racist, uh, the racism that exists within corporate America. Um, and that really requires you to kind of look internally at how can you adjust your, your processes? How can you adjust your, uh, your hiring practices? How can you adjust your, your culture to really make sure that uh, people of color uh, and particularly Black people, have begin to have a seat at the table and then also can continue to have a seat at the table because one of the, one of the issues is not just acquiring great talent, it's retaining great talent. Uh, and so we loved how it started to shift in terms of focusing on hiring, focusing on how you uh, diversify your suppliers, how you diversify your partners, and how do you make sure, as Lori likes to say, every invoice you had a person of color, a black company had an opportunity to, to, to take that invoice or to kind of to have that business. And how do you create systems where this has now becoming more open to more companies than just, you know, just the person, you know, your neighbor or the person in your, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, your PTA club or the person in your social club, um, because diversity has to extend um, larger than that. And the conversation around this diversity has to extend past, um, extend past just police, police brutality um, and racism and criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. What do you think is going to be, because one thing you say in both guides and in you, a point that you make is that there, there's got to be transparency and mm -hmm. ac accountability and trackability. What, what do you think is going to take, is it like in six months time from now, like we take a look at, you know, some of the company statements, like, what do you think it's going to take to hold sort of brands feet to the fire and, and, and make it not just this moment of this crazy summer, but like mm -hmm. long term, do you think, I, 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 let me ask you from a, from a, if you were advising a client that has a big corporate client that has made a statement, like, how do you, how do you, how do you, how does a brand prove that they're serious about this through, right. through your actions that, well, I, I, I keep saying that I'm waiting for a company or a brand to come out with a microsite that has their numbers on it in terms of the diversity within their company and do it by level. There's a great um, uh, commit to change initiative um, that Netflix participated in, and they actually released their numbers by level. So, you know, directors, managers, et cetera, and then by ethnicity. So you can actually see how many people of color and what their ethnicity is and what their rank is. Because what happens is in certain large corporations, there can be a whole host of people that are below a certain level that are, you know, um, on the lower ranks of the company, like call centers 
or, you know, um, you know, like if it's a ship shipping company, if it's Amazon, you know, you could have a lot of diversity in the drivers and this and that. But as you get up to the corporate ranks, it becomes less and less, as Jess mentioned. So I think one is I would advise a company to, you know, figure out what your internal numbers are. Commit to being transparent with them. It doesn't mean that it's not it's going to be comfortable. Here's the thing about transparency. A lot of companies won't want to do it because it will, you know, be a blemish on their perfect company persona, right? Um, people are not asking for perfection. We are asking for progression, progress, progress over perfection, right? In workouts and in corporate America, it's, mm-hmm. it should be progress over perfection. So the companies that do admit and do um, give transparency with their numbers, I think will be considered some of the most forward companies and, 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 and most progressive companies out there and people will support them. Um, so I think that, you know, if you create a microsite, has your numbers on it so that the consumers can track it, have a broad timeline. It doesn't have to be in six months. It can be year one, year two, year five, whatever. And then appoint someone in HR or in diversity and inclusion to update that microsite with the progress you've been making. Or if there's a challenge that you're facing in terms of we are looking for more qualified diverse candidates or more qualified black candidates, because right now we're talking about anti-black racism. And a lot of people have been watering it down a little bit with just people of color overall to be PC. And while I want all people of color and all disadvantaged communities to come up, I really do. I'm very passionate about that, as is Jess. Um, This is the moment for Black America. Um, The U.S. was built on the backs of Black America, right? So this is the moment to bring some parity, some equity to Black Americans or just Black people in America overall, whether you come from another country or what have you, but bring some equity to the table, not just equality. You know, we need extra boosts because we've been oppressed for so long that you don't see us in those higher ranks, as Jessica mentioned. So do the microsite, be transparent about your numbers, have your timeline, and then appoint somebody to update on the progress and also be be open about the challenges. We're here to help. All of Black America is here to help. Mm-hmm. We're not saying you have to be perfect, but we are saying that you need to start and you need to start with transparency. Is there anything in your experience working in the industry and and just being consumers yourselves and observers, is there anything that is specific to the entertainment industry that is hard for the biggest players that, you know, the Warner medias, the Disney's, you know, Disney is, you know, so huge now, Um, you know, the Viacoms, is there anything specific about the entertainment business that makes it hard for those big companies to speak to their, to speak to consumers, to speak to audiences? Yeah, I think so, Jess. Well, I, I, I was wondering, it, it doesn't make it hard. I'm not sure, but I know that um, one of the things that Lori and I have been talking about, because um, we actually just did a presentation with Promax, is that we, we feel like some of the entertainment companies have been missing for some of these conversations because we saw a lot of the brands, um, you know, a lot of brands kind of be very vocal about pledging, support, which transitioning, we're going to say we're going to commit to 15% of, you know, hiring of black, you know, of black people to their companies. And we've seen a lot of the media entertainment companies and those brands go silent. You know, they've, they spoke out to support Black Lives Matter, but we've seen them not take the next step to do a lot of action. Um, and so that's some of the things that we we're hoping the media entertainment companies step, step up and do because 
Um, there was actually a really good article. I want to say it was a um, article by the Ankler who kind of did a, a, a long scroll of the of the executives, the senior leadership of all the major studios and all the major kind of inter, inter, entertainment conglomerates. And if you go down the page and the page goes down and down and down and down and the faces that you see throughout the page are, are mostly white men. Uh, and that hasn't changed. And so we want to see them step up to say, hey, now that you know, you know, everyone's on blast and now we're putting it out there and, and in this era of transparency, we want to see them step up to say, no, this, we can't do this, especially in a landscape of entertainment um, that has such a multicultural leaning, you know, like, you know, black and lots of black people kind of dominating in terms of like pop culture charts. I mean, excuse me, pop music charts and in the in fashion and entertainment and all of these type of worlds, but we don't have them in the seats of leadership to help drive real change within the industry. And as we talk about, you know, stereotypes and making sure the right type of supply, supplier diversity comes to the table, we need those people in leadership uh, in the entertainment companies too to help make some of those decisions and to help make sure that we have diversity across uh, across you know, an entity that is responsible for so many images that we see as kids, adults, uh, international in terms of, you know, where we are, they're the face of all these images. And so we need to make sure that that, that is corrected and that that kind of is on a path to include the, the true diversity of what, you know, America looks like, quite honestly. So is there something stopping them? I'm sure they would say that, you know, they can't find the right talent. Um, do I think that's true? No. In this period when people are really focused and, and there's a lot of calls to action, is there opportunity for brands to improve their images? To, can you do some brand burnishing in this, in this, even in this moment when everybody is focused and there is so much discussion about what systemically needs to happen? Is there, is, is there opportunity for brands within this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, ab yes. Yeah, I was going to say, so, you know, a systemic problem needs a systemic solution. And the only way that you create a systemic solution is for you to start tackling it, which is why our action guide is called an action guide to dismantling racism. It has to be dismantled block by block. Every bit helps, but you have to keep moving forward. And it's, you know, I understand the fear or the hesitancy, right? Nobody likes to be told what to do. Nobody wants, you know, random, you know, general public to demand things of you. Um, I'm on a Nielsen external advisory council, um, and they have several councils um, based on ethnicity groups that they work with targets. So I'm on the African-American one, and I give Nielsen big props for inviting outsiders to the table to demand that they get, you know, get their plans together in terms of making sure there's equity amongst the communities that you are, you know, building your business off of or who is helping you with, you know, reporting ratings, et cetera. Okay. So that's great. Now what about supplier diversity? Now what about this? And they actually take us through presentations about their business operations, financials, everything. That's huge for a brand to do. Um, but I think there's huge opportunity here. There's so many solutions they just have to be willing to do the work to figure them out. And actually, we've been pulled in by several brands um, recently to help them do that work. So, you know, we started as a creative shop and we're still a creative shop. But, you know, this work is really important to us and really important to the movement. And so that's what we like to do. I mean, it can be done, but you have to get the right people in the room or the right people at the table, whether it's pop and creative or someone else.
Absolutely. I feel like this now is the opportunity. I feel like in terms of is there opportunity? Absolutely. Because people are, have our eyes wide open into what these brands are doing in terms of their actions, what they're saying, what they're doing, what they're even putting on television or what they're kind of putting out there in spots and promos. And so this is the moment where if you have something to say or you have, there's something that you want to change or fix, now is the time because now is also the time where people are a lot more, not, I wouldn't say forgiving, but acceptable of you taking a shot. You know, everyone's afraid of setting up the shot, shot and failing. This is the time that if you set up the shot and, and it doesn't go right, that you have an opportunity to change it and fix it because people just want to see you go out there and say something and do something. Right. Um, and so, and they're willing to say, oh, wow, they tried this, didn't work so well, but <laughs> well, here's some feedback for you because we appreciate you doing the effort to making this world a, di a different place or kind of shifting the conversation that we have on, on, on race in America and race and kind of corporate America. So now yeah, is the perfect time to yeah. try and one of my favorite examples from the guide and just from, you know, in general is Peloton. They were one of the early people coming out the gate with a letter from their CEO, not just their token diverse person at the top, right? And he admitted what they didn't know. He admitted that, you know, here, here's what we plan to do. And it was actually a robust plan. Um, but then he said, we know this still is not enough, right? Um, someone once said, I think it was Linda Ong, um, uh, from civic agencies said, you know, you don't have to really make sure that everybody loves you. You just have to be okay with the people you piss off. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business.